0: Welcome to this latest episode in the Herbert Smith Freehills FDI Friday podcast series in which our foreign direct investment regulation experts are sharing their insights into FDI regimes around the globe. I'm Ruth Allen, a professional support lawyer in our competition, regulation and trade practice based in London, and I'm joined today by three colleagues from our competition, regulation and trade team in Brussels, partners Loda van den Hender and Kyriakos van and senior associate Maurice Schoenberg as well as James Robinson, a corporate partner based in New York who regularly advises on cross-border investments. Today we're going to be talking about the new EU foreign subsidies regime, introduced by the EU Foreign Subsidies Regulation, or FSR as it tends to be referred to, which entered into force on 12th of January this year and started to apply from the 12th of July, with important notification obligations taking effect from the 12th of October. Focusing on the implications for cross-border transactions, we'll be discussing in particular the notification obligations which now apply to transactions which meet certain thresholds and the potential impact of the review process for investors. Loda, could you start off by giving a brief overview of the regime introduced by the FSR and explain a bit more about the background to its adoption and what it's intended to achieve?
1: Certainly, and, and thank you, Ruth. Um Well, the FSR is a totally new regime, Uh, for the European Commission to investigate and take action against subsidies granted by non-EU countries, which have an allegedly distortive effect on competition uh, in the EU. The MSI is part of a broader initiative at EU level, uh, which is referred to as levelling the playing field. And eliminating the perceived disadvantages of, of EU companies uh, against sort uh, of foreign competitors due to stricter regulation in the EU compared to those non EU jurisdictions. Now, that is perceived to be the case, for instance, uh, in relation to labour rights, environmental uh, regulations, climate change, uh, but there's also a specific issue with respect to subsidy control. Uh, which the FSR seeks to address. Um, The EU has always had strict controls in the form of the EU state aid regime, uh, which polices subsidies granted by EU member states and is seen as essential for the operation of the EU's own internal market. Almost all other countries have much greater flexibility to grant significant subsidies to their companies, um, placing EU companies potentially at a disadvantage. Now, the FSR is the EU's answer to this problem, uh, and it essentially represents an attempt to export the EU state aid regime in particular areas uh, to subsidies granted by non-EU states. Um, Now, that said, while while the introduction of the FSR was clearly based on on political objectives, the operation of the regime... should be more legal and economic, uh, much more like competition law and merger control, uh, rather than than FDI. Um, Now, while the Commission uh, has made it relatively clear that the target is companies from jurisdictions with what the Commission has described as state capitalism, or at least the original target was that, Um, All companies will have to comply and will, in particular, have to comply with the notification obligations that that we're discussing here in relation to mergers. Now, these notification obligations will have to be complied with, but it's important to take into account that the Commission will most likely only take actual action uh, against any perceived subsidies in, in specific circumstances. Now, when it does so, the Commission will need to establish that objective legal requirements and tests uh, are met before they can take action. Uh, There will be a formal investigation uh, in which the companies that are being investigated uh, will have rights of defence. Companies will also be able to challenge Commission decisions to the EU Court of Justice. uh, and, And that certainly should adjudicate on purely legal and not political grounds. So the FSR consists of uh, three different types of subsidy control tools. First, a general ex officio tool for the Commission to investigate essentially any subsidy, any foreign subsidy it would want uh, to investigate. Uh, second, a notification based tool uh, specifically in relation to potentially subsidized MA or concentrations, as they are referred to uh, under the FSR. And three, a notification based tool uh, specifically in relation to potentially subsidized public procurement bids. Now, while Ex officio has the potential uh, to be a very significant tool, uh, and a number of uh, complaints have been made, the Commission has so far not opened any cases. Uh, at the moment, they seem very focused on the notification tools, and the cases that it, it, the cases that it will have to examine there under, uh, and in particular, concentration tools, uh, which we are focusing on today.
0: Thanks, Loda. Focusing in a bit more on that concentrations tool, Kyriakos, could I ask you to explain in a bit more detail when a notification obligation will be triggered under the FSR and how the review process works?
2: Thank you, Ruth. Uh, I think this is the part of the FSR that really directly impacts deal-making. So anybody involved in M&A will need to think about this and cater for it in corporate documentation when the notification obligations are triggered. So a lot like the EU merger regulation, the EUMR, the notification tool under the FSR is mandatory and has a suspensory, mandatory when the notification thresholds are triggered and it has a suspensory effect. So that means that the transaction cannot be completed until the commission has cleared the deal or the statutory timeframes for intervention have expired. So clearly that needs to be budgeted into the corporate timetable. And the thresholds to trigger that mandatory and suspensory obligation are two uh, thresholds, so the turnover threshold and the foreign contribution threshold. The key one would be the turnover threshold, and this is um, essentially that the target in an acquisition or the joint venture, if it's a creation of a JV, must be established in the EU and must have aggregate turnover of 500 million euro or more. So we are talking about really big targets uh, here and big deals and that is quite a substantial threshold. It means that only major M&A will be covered. We know from recent uh, press releases that there are about 17 transactions in pre-notification with the European Commission at the moment, so still it shows that quite a significant number of cases will be caught, but it is still quite a high threshold. The second threshold will probably be far less significant in practice because it will be met quite often, and that is the foreign financial contributions threshold. Foreign financial contribution under the FSR is a very wide notion and essentially covers any transfer of financial resources from non-EU states and public entities, including, for example, payment for goods and services. And the threshold is only 50 million euro received over a period of three years before the concentration. That, as you can see, is quite low. And we expect it to be met quite often, probably in almost all circumstances, by big international companies that engage in significant M&A. Now, while, as I said, the turnover threshold, the 500 million that the target must have in the EU will be the key limiting factor here and will catch the big, you know, transactions. I should add that the Commission is empowered to go below that threshold and require notification where it suspects that foreign subsidies are involved. Uh, and even though in that case there is no mandatory obligation to notify, the Commission can request a notification. Let's see how the Commission exercises this power going forward. Our understanding is at the moment the Commission seems to have their hands full with the cases that are notified you know, to it, uh, and that's their focus, but in the future they may exercise that discretionary power for deals below uh, the notification threshold. Quickly going to the process and how that works and the timelines, it's similar to the EU merger regulation. In principle, that is basically 25 working days after submission of the notification in phase one and 90 working days uh, if the Commission opens a phase two in-depth investigation I think the idea was that because of the similar timelines, the two processes, the EU merger regulation process and the FSR uh, process would run in parallel, but it remains to be seen how this will exactly work in, in practice. The Commission will be looking at different things under the two instruments. Under the EUMR, the Commission will be looking at the impact of the concentration on competition in the market. Uh, and under the FSR, the main focus will be on whether foreign subsidies given to the acquirer facilitated the acquisition and distorted the market for the acquisition itself, for the bid you know, itself. So it is possible, uh, I guess, that one could have a relatively straightforward case from a perspective of the EUMR, from a competition perspective, but it might be a challenging case under the FSR uh, and vice versa.
0: Thanks Kyriakos. Can I ask about publication of information and decisions? Will that be similar to under the EUMR as well?
2: Actually that will be quite different to the EUMR and the process under the FSR is going to be more opaque. The Commission is not required to publish information about notifications received. As you know under the EU merger rules, when the notification is received, a publication is made on the commission's website and in the official journal so everybody knows that the case has been notified that is not going to be the case under the fsr uh, and actually the commission is not even required to take a formal decision and publish the decision clearing uh, a deal in, in phase 1 rather what it can do is just simply allow the time frame the 25 working days to expire without taking any decision, Uh, and actually the Commission has confirmed that is what it intends to follow in practice, so let the the deadline expire without publication or adoption of a formal uh, decision. The Commission is only formally required to publish something when it opens a phase two investigation, and in many cases This may be the first point at which interested parties may have access to information in relation to a notification. So yes, it is different to the EUMR when it comes to uh, transparency and publication requirements.
0: Thanks Kyriakos, that's a useful comparison. Where the notification thresholds under the FSR are met and a notification therefore has to be submitted, What are the key things that investors need to be aware of in terms of the information that will need to be included in the notification form? Maurice, could you talk us through the main requirements there?
3: Thanks, Ruth. So the main part, in fact, the key part of the notification form is the provision of information about the foreign financial contributions received by the parties in the past three years. Now, it's important to recognise that this is the wide notion that was explained by Kyriakos earlier, namely any transfer of financial resources- from non-EU states and public entities, not information about foreign subsidies per se. Now, the idea behind this, from the Commission's perspective- is that the assessment of whether a given foreign financial contribution- may amount to a foreign subsidy can be rather complicated- and the Commission does not want companies to underreport potentially relevant measures. The Commission was at the same time, however, responsive to the criticism- that requiring information about each and every financial contribution received- would place significant and disproportionate burdens on companies- especially given that many foreign financial contributions may be entirely innocuous. And a good example of this are payments for goods and services- provided at market rates. I mean, clearly these are foreign financial contributions- but they would not be subsidies in any sense of the word and wouldn't be able to distort competition. In view of this, in the final notification form, the Commission has therefore sought to distinguish between foreign financial contributions that are potentially problematic on the one hand and those that are not on the other hand. First, in terms of the scope of information required, the notification form distinguishes between certain categories of foreign financial contribution which are considered as being the most distortive, and then everything else. Now, the categories of foreign financial contribution, which are considered as being the most distortive, are those which are specifically set out in the FSR itself, namely bailouts of companies in financial difficulty, unlimited guarantees, export financing that is not in compliance with the OECD agreement in this area, and subsidies directly facilitating the concentration. For these types of potential subsidies, they are considered to be distorted by nature, and therefore the Commission is obviously going to be most interested in those specific types of measures. And for these measures, significant information must be provided in the form, including copies of all supporting documents, all analysis and reports discussing the purpose and economic rationale of those foreign financial contributions, as well as an analysis of whether those contributions could amount to a subsidy- and may be liable to cause distortions in the EU. So that's the first type of foreign financial contributions- and that's going to be a relatively limited subset of measures. Now, for all other types of foreign financial contributions- in other words, the great majority of the information and the measures that will be relevant- only overview and aggregate information needs to be provided- and that would be aggregated by the type of foreign financial contribution, and therefore, in principle, much less information would need to be provided about those types of foreign financial contribution. In addition, information on those types of foreign financial contribution also only needs to be provided by the purchaser group and not the target of the acquisition. Now, second, the notification form also provides for certain exclusions from the requirement to provide information altogether. In particular, information only needs to be provided for individual foreign financial contributions that amount to one million euros or more. And in the case of the second category of financial contributions, i.e. all those measures apart from the most distortive types, information only needs to be provided where the aggregate amount per non-EU country amounts to 45 million euros or more over the past three years, so quite a few thresholds to be met before information- needs to be provided. Finally and significantly, the notification form also excludes certain types- of foreign financial contributions altogether, uh, including transactions for goods and services- at market rates, apart from financial services. Uh, Also certain types of generally applicable tax deferrals and reliefs- And finally, in the case of an acquisition by a private equity fund, the foreign financial contributions received by sister funds can also be excluded, provided certain criteria are met. Now, while these exclusions are obviously very helpful in reducing the information gathering burden, it is important to note, however, that even with the benefit of these, a significant amount of information still needs to be provided. The Commission has also confirmed that it will be applying these exclusions restrictively. For example, in the case of tax measures, the Commission has confirmed that only the specific types of tax deferrals and reliefs mentioned in the form can be excluded, and not other forms of tax incentives, even though they may also be generally available and therefore ought not to be problematic. Lastly, the Commission is able to grant waivers from the information provision requirements. However, from our experience so far, it does seem that the Commission is going to be very cautious in granting these waivers, at least during the initial phase of application of the FSR, when the Commission is still finding its feet and still working out what it's looking for, so to speak.
0: Thanks, Maurice. So, quite a lot of information there that will be required, even taking into account the various exclusions and the possibility of waiver. Is there anything that companies can already be doing now to prepare in terms of gathering of information in advance?
1: Yes, I I think so, Ruth, because despite the exclusion in the final notification form that you mentioned, uh, significant information will uh, still need to be provided uh, on these foreign financial contributions in the notifications. Now, much of this information uh, will be of a nature that is not typically collected and tracked by companies already as part of their normal financial reporting. Um, The information gathering exercise can therefore be uh, intensive and take time. Now, this does not mean that the work required is insurmountable. It it can be done, and many companies have already done it or or started doing it. Um, Clearly, all companies will have questions, but to most of these questions, uh, we've found there are pragmatic answers. Um, Nevertheless, what what should not be done is leaving this exercise to the last moment and only doing it in the context of a particular deal. Now, this could lead to a significant delay uh, in obtaining uh, regulatory approval and closing. Uh, In the context of a competitive bidding exercise, for instance, uh, companies which have not yet done this exercise could find themselves at a disadvantage to bidders which are better prepared. Uh, and ready to make their notifications and therefore able uh, to close quicker.
2: And just to reinforce that point, Ruth, from my perspective, I mean, whenever we do deals, we all know how it is. People want to do it as quickly as possible. And as Loder said, in a competitive situation, you want to be attractive to the seller and you do not want to be the one that is facing delays because of an FSR Uh, obligation and you're not ready basically with the information you need to fill in the forms and get your clearance as quickly as possible. So in light of all this, companies can start preemptive due diligence to gather the information that is required so that they are ready, even if they don't have a deal going on at the moment, ready for when a deal comes and then they can move much faster than if they leave it to the last minute. So, doing the exercise now, even before a deal is live or uh, contemplated, even allows companies to flash out also any risk areas and build a defensive case in relation to any potentially distortive foreign subsidies that are uncovered, uh, as opposed to this being a surprise that emerges in the context of a live you know, deal situation. What we have done uh, is. To develop a methodology that companies can use to undertake the necessary due diligence, both in the context of an actual deal, uh, but also in the context of this more preemptive due diligence exercise to be getting ready for a future deal. And once the work has been done for the first time, it is then simply a matter of tracking and updating the information on an annual basis so that it remains relevant to any notifiable deals that may arise going forward. So preparation is really um, quite quite important, I think, so that time is not wasted when when a live deal situation uh, emerges in the future.
0: Thanks, Kiriakos, some useful practical tips there. Just before we finish, James, could I ask you to comment on whether the US is looking at foreign subsidies regulation in the same way?
4: Sure. The, the The short answer uh, is that the U.S. isn't looking at it um, by way of replicating the EU regime, at least not yet. Uh, in fact, if anything, the U.S. efforts have been on encouraging investment into the U.S. by way of more U.S. domestic subsidies under the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act and others, uh, especially subsidies to support green technologies such as electric vehicles and battery storage infrastructure. Uh, and those subsidies are provided largely in the form of tax breaks all of which is to protect U.S. participants and U.S. industries and to incentivize foreign investment. Uh, so much so, in fact, that the EU has apparently threatened WTO action regarding the Inflation Reduction Act, but that would be a whole separate podcast, I'm sure. The The main point to note in respect of foreign subsidies is with regard to an imminent new addition to U.S. merger filing regulations. Uh, so in December last year, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act introduced an amendment to the Scott rodino or HSR Act, which will require HSR filings to now include information on subsidies received from certain foreign governments, which to be clear will include SOEs um, that are ID'd as being, quote, countries of concern. So China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, uh, but also other entities which may have designated nationals in their ownership chain, um, looking at OFAC lists and other export control lists. Um, and that covers both direct subsidies, uh, grants, loans, uh, guarantees, tax concessions, uh, and preferred government procurement policies. While ostensibly about reviewing information uh, for the distortion of competition, the amendments do also reference an analysis of the strategic and economic threat imposed on the U.S. by a deal. So it's clearly as much a move to allow information gain and maybe even information creep from those deals that don't already trigger the CFIUS regimes. Uh, Indeed, from the implementing rules, uh, which are likely to be finalised by the end of this year, they're expressed to be developed with input from a number of stakeholders, expressly including CFIUS. So, basically, the US is certainly looking at foreign subsidies regulation, but as much from a national security angle as from a competition or antitrust
3: angle.
0: Thanks, James, for highlighting those differences with the U.S. approach and thanks Loda, Kyriakos and Morris for sharing your insights into what the new EU foreign subsidies regime will mean for investors in practice and highlighting what companies can already be doing to prepare for complying with the new notification obligations. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today, but thanks to our listeners for joining us, and please do let us know if you have any feedback on this episode, or indeed any suggestions for areas to cover in future episodes of FDI Friday. This week, I've also been discussing the impact of the EU FDI regulation with Uber Segar, Marius Berva, and Daniel Barrio. And that episode is now also live on our website alongside this one. Looking ahead to next Friday, We'll be resuming our international tour across our network of FDI experts and turning the spotlight on FDI regulation in China and also Indonesia. I do hope you can join us then.